Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show. My name is Chris Rawl. What a week we have in front of us. The Stanley Cup Finals start on Wednesday night. I'm sick to my stomach. I'm probably not going to make it. This is the last you might ever hear of me, so enjoy it while it lasts. The NBA Finals, they're reaching their apex. And what do we have here? Oh, I don't know. Maybe the U.S. Open in golf. Three incredible sporting events that are all taking place this week. I'm incredibly excited. It's going to give me a lot of things to talk about on this show. It's going to give me a lot of things to write about for my weekly newsletter, which... Coincidentally enough, if you have not subscribed to, you need to. Just go to chrisrawl.com, hit the subscribe button in the top right, put your email address in, bam, easy, cut and dry, go home, feel happy about things. In addition to that, I want to interview people on this show who are passionate about sports like I am, who have an emotional connection to sports in some capacity like I do. So if you consider yourself to be one of those people or if you know anybody that you think would be interested in talking in front of a microphone about their emotional connection with sports, please email me, chris at ceo.com. All right, enough of that. We move to today's show where I talk about one of my favorite things to talk about, situation. Now, close your eyes. I was listening to the Athletic NFL show last week, which is a very good podcast. And there was a question that was submitted that really really got me thinking. I think it was a phenomenal question. Uh, And it was something along the lines of, it pointed out a player like Austin Eckler, who we know now is a good football player who nobody knew about until he suddenly appeared in the NFL with the Chargers. And the question was, are there more players like Austin Eckler? Really talented football players that are given a shot and, and utilize that. Are there more players like Austin Eckler that are found by the NFL or that are lost in the cracks? The idea kind of being... The NFL is a great, enormous mechanism where a lot of people are given a chance and still there are a lot of people who either are not given a chance or just for whatever reason are cut or banished to a practice squad and we never know about them. There's an incredible amount of people who are talented. Do they do a good job of identifying the very best people and putting those people in a position to succeed? It's a really interesting question and I still have not fully decided on the answer in my head. I think I flip-flopped about 10 different times. I was on a hike while I was listening to this and I kind of paused and started thinking for like two minutes and it made my brain hurt. So I just resumed the podcast and then I started thinking about it again later and I go, I don't know. I don't actually know. You know, this idea that all these undrafted players or practice squad players that we don't know about that rise and then suddenly they're stars in the NFL, a player like Kurt Warner, that was his path. You know, there's literally a movie that has been made about it. Undrafted, stock in supermarket shelves. Next thing you know, he's on the Rams and bam, career's taking off, Hall of Fame career. There's a bunch of players in the history of the sport that kind of have a similar story, whether it's somebody like Priest Holmes, another undrafted player who became an NFL star, or Wes Welker, one of the best slot receivers of all time, undrafted out of Texas Tech, got placed in literally the perfect place with... New England on that rise to spread offenses, especially in 2007, it just fit like perfect glove over the hand. Wes Welker in that offense in the slot. And then he parlayed that into another slot job with the Broncos and Peyton Manning. Uh, And I mean, again, one of the most successful slot receivers we've ever seen in the history of the game. There's a bunch of people. Antonio Gates, Hall of Fame tight end for the Chargers or John Randall, Hall of Fame defensive lineman for the Vikings. James Harrison, the great defensive weapon for Pittsburgh, all these people, undrafted. Diamonds in the rough, call them whatever you will, but people who had immense talent that 
despite that talent, went through seven rounds of the NFL draft and the people who are paid to evaluate the stuff said, nah, we're good. And then they fell into the right situation at the right time and suddenly their skills are popping. And we understand all of those players are really, really, really good. It did not take very long to understand that once they got onto the field. But it's crazy to think in the context of a lot of these stories to think about how many talented football players there are that for whatever reason, we never really know about. You know, it goes back to that Austin Eckler question. Are there more that are identified or more that are forgotten? Now, a lot of all this has to do with situation. The one thing I always come back to, always come back to in sports. Say, if you're not in a good situation, you could literally be out of the league despite having all the talent and physical tools in the world to succeed within your given sport. Kurt Warner's story, I mean, it's pretty incredible because it's it's a convergence of events that's kind of hard to comprehend that suddenly placed him at the helm of what we would come to know as the greatest show on turf. At the time, we just thought the Rams were bad and we didn't know anything about them. And Mark Bolger gets injured and we're just like, all right, who cares? I mean, this team's going to win four games this year anyways. It doesn't, it literally doesn't matter. You know, I remember thinking that at the time, just like, all right, whatever. You have some supermarket guy playing quarterback. Okay, cool. If I watch a Rams game this year, I've failed at life. That's what I was thinking in back in 1999 or whatever year that was. And instead, Warner comes in and immediately we start to see, okay, yeah, Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt and Marshall Falk and this guy's pretty good at quarterback, huh? And then they're winning a Super Bowl. They're playing another Super Bowl. Kurt Warner's winning two MVPs with the Rams. We're just understanding, oh, this guy has a lot of skill and talent. And he also stepped into an incredible situation for an offensive play caller. Just talent out the wazoo, great offensive mind calling plays. and. That's how things happen. What's funny with Kurt Warner's career is after the Rams, he goes to the Giants first and it looks like his career is completely flaming out. He plays one season there. He was so bad. I think he, he started nine games. He threw for six touchdowns in those nine games and he goes to Arizona. We're just like, all right, yeah, it was, you know, five-year flash in the pan. I guess you can't really call it a flash in the pan, but it was a five-year thing that caught lightning in a bottle, I guess we can call it, but now it's over. And then after a couple of years with Arizona, we saw a similar story where they built a better roster around him. They said, hey, here's Larry Fitzgerald, one of the best wide receivers of his generation, get in the ball. And the next thing you know, right at the tail end of his career, he's a top 10 MVP candidate. He's taking Arizona to the Super Bowl. He's throwing one of the most memorable touchdowns that could have been the game winner to Larry Fitzgerald right near the end of that game against James Harrison and the Pittsburgh Steelers, a dude who scored a touchdown at the end of the first half of that game. Uh, Pittsburgh wins on that Santonio Holmes catch from Ben Roethlisberger, but you get the point. The situation changes and it drastically alters what we're thinking about Kurt Warner. Happens multiple times within his career. We think he's great. We think he's bad. We think he's great. Then he retires and we go, hmm, it's crazy that that dude was never drafted and we now know he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. Situation, right? Situation's everything. Constant theme of the Chris Brawl show. And it's funny to see years later, the Rams again kind of go out of their way to get a player that has, in a very different way, gone through a similar bouncy ball type perception. Bounce it over here, bounce it over there. We think he's good, we think he's bad. Is he the worst? Is he the best? What is he doing? Why does he lose? Is it on him? All of these questions about Matt Stafford throughout his career with the Detroit Lions. Now, you all know I'm a Packers fan, so I've obviously watched Matt Stafford closely throughout his career in Detroit. Watch him very closely when he was the quarterback at University of Georgia because those teams were really fun. And I was very into him as a player. 
just especially the physical tools. I mean, if you've ever watched a Matt Stafford game, you know his arm just pops off the screen. It's a cannon, right? So he gets drafted by the Lions, and I'm nervous because I don't want that quarterback in my division. But luckily, the Lions are the Lions. And despite having a good quarterback, they're just, they are going to Lion. <laughs> That's the best way of putting it. So they're tripping over their feet at every opportunity and just completely submarining his career for over a decade. And Matt Stafford had to suffer through being the quarterback of an atrociously run franchise because sooner rather than later, public perception turns on you and goes, well, they can't win because the quarterback, the most public facing figure on the team, there's a flaw there. We can see Matt Stafford throwing some picks. We can see him taking sacks. We can see him getting his ribs broken, having to sit out. And we're going to hold him accountable for the Lions winning four games or winning seven games and just never winning a playoff game throughout his entire decade plus run with the Lions. So I always fought against that perception because you know me. I mean, I'm a big grader on how did somebody play outside of whether or not the team won or lost. So I was always fighting the good fight of, I think Matt Stafford's actually quite good and he's got a bum deal in Detroit. And if you ever go somewhere else, I think people will be more open to the idea that this guy is a really good top 10 quarterback and you can definitely win a Super Bowl with him, which we now know, yes, you can. What's interesting following that entire decade plus arc with the Lions and tying a nice neat bow on it with last year's Ram season that ended with Matt Stafford hoisting the Super Bowl trophy was the way that he was talked about was night and day, which <laughs> it, it always bears discussion and deserves to be pointed out because it's kind of absurd. You go back to a season like 2011 with Detroit, one of his, you know, good seasons with Detroit. He had a lot of good seasons with Detroit individually on an individual level. That year, he throws for over 5,000 yards, throws for 41 touchdowns, 16 picks. It's one of three seasons that he made the playoffs with Detroit. They lose in the first round because that's what the Lions did. That's what the Lions do. They just don't ever win playoff games. I don't think they've won one since 1990 or so back with Barry Sanders. So good individual season. Yeah, great. Okay. Um, But it's one of many seasons over the course of 2009 up through 2020 that the longer that time went on, everybody said, it's on Stafford. You just can't, you can't do stuff with him, you know? Okay, the numbers, sure, that's, yeah, good, whatever, but there's an inherent flaw within this quarterback. So you fast forward 10 years, you get straight to the Rams, a Rams team that we know is good. They made the Super Bowl with Jared Goff at the helm. The idea is if we switch out Goff for Stafford, does that improve us in the playoffs? We know the answer, yes. 2021 Rams season, Matt Stafford throws for nearly 4,900 yards right around that 5,000 mark. 41 touchdowns, 17 interceptions, okay? Compare that to 2011. Little over 5,000 yards, 41 16. 2021, 4,900 yards, 41 17. Virtually identical seasons, okay? From those major counting stats. But across the board, you know, it's small comparisons either way, depending upon what you want to look at. Now, what's very interesting is the talking point going into 2021 that a lot of people were into was just, can you win with this guy? I don't think so. We have over a decade of evidence. The Lions never even won a playoff game with him at the helm. And after last season, a season that was virtually identical to 2011, (laughs) after the season, I remember the first two weeks after the Super Bowl occurred, the talking points on virtually every show or podcast that I watch was, is this quarterback a Hall of Famer? He now has a Super Bowl to kind of put uh, an end point on this vast statistical resume. You know, look at these seasons, thrown for 5,000 yards and 41 touchdowns and 16 picks. And they were talked about in completely different terms than they used to be because Matt Stafford swapped out the complete shit show that was the Detroit Lions around him 
and said, whoo, you know what's sweet having Sean McVay call plays? And you know what's sweet having this awesome offensive line in front of me that protects me well all season long? You know what's great? Having Cooper Cup out there to throw to. Or Robert Woods until he was injured. Or Odell Beckham until he was injured. Having this great zone running scheme that takes a lot of pressure off me. You know what's also really cool? When I'm not even on the field, Aaron Donald's out here being the best defensive player in football. And Jalen Ramsey's being the best cornerback in football. And this defense is just getting after the passer time and time again. You know what's cool? Being in the Super Bowl and sitting here on the sidelines watching the Rams defensive front just completely annihilate the Bengals offensive line in the second half. That's what's cool, you know? And all of those things come together. And Matt Stafford, a guy who we know has physical tools, who we know could play quarterback individually at a high level because he did it with the Lions, even if it didn't result in team success. He does it for the Rams in the same level. And suddenly the the question marks of, is this guy even good become, is this guy a Hall of Famer? <laughs> very, very interesting, right? Now, this is one of many, whether it's Warner, whether it's Stafford. I mean, I spend a disgusting amount of time, a disgusting thinking about quarterbacks throughout the history of the NFL that would have drastically different careers depending upon a change in situation. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers is right at the top of that. I've spoken to that many times in the show. I don't need to get into it again. Uh, it extends well beyond that. I mean, whether it's historical, whether it's uh, Dan Marino, a player like that, just all the gifts in the world, never won the Super Bowl, so never got his proper dues. Or whether it's people right now that I don't even think uh, like are that interesting, but for purpose of this conversation are like, like a Jimmy Garoppolo. I go, would we even know this guy? If he wasn't on New England and New England just, you're not going to have a better structure and situation and system to put people into than what Belichick has created for the last two plus decades. Jimmy Garoppolo, you put him there to the start of his career when Tom Brady gets injured and he's coming in and not really doing much, but the Patriots win a couple games and now we're excited about him. And then he gets traded to San Francisco, about as friendly of a system as you can ever find for a quarterback with Kyle Shanahan that zone running scheme and just some players around him. And then we're going, well, is, I think Jimmy Garoppolo, is, he's a winner. It's the inverse of what Matt Stafford has gone through because Jimmy Garoppolo made a Super Bowl and was up 10 against the Chiefs. In the fourth quarter of that game, they could have won. And they went on another playoff run last year. And if you watch Jimmy Garoppolo play, you'd say, this guy's not very good at football. And yet his team was continually there at the end. I mean, if he's playing on the Browns, or if he's playing on one of these teams that maybe the situation and structure is not as sound, do we even talk about him for two seconds? Player like Matt Ryan or, or Phil Rivers, historically. Quarterbacks that we think of in good terms, yeah, this player's good, but we kind of look at them similarly to Stafford. Go, yeah, you've had some more team success, but there must be some sort of flaw within you that has prevented your team from winning a Super Bowl. And I go, eh, not really. I, I think both of those quarterbacks are really good. I think with slight tweaks or change in situation, we would look at them as we do uh, these other players who have won Super Bowls, like a Ben Roethlisberger, where we go, this player is one of the best of all time, absolute stamp them, Hall of Famer, easy, that kind of stuff. Even a player like Ryan Tannehill, the change that <laughs> the change that happened in his career, he's a top 10 pick by Miami. He goes into about as bad of a place as you could go. He's, they're converting him from wideout at Texas A&M. To quarterback, that's already a steep learning curve. But then he's got Adam Gase, just one of the biggest bozos that we've seen coaching football in the last decade. And he's trying to get Tannehill's career up and running. And it's just a nightmare scenario. So they trade him for pennies on the dollar to the Titans. And I don't think anything of it because I'm just like, yeah, Tannehill, he's, he's a wide receiver. <laughs> what are we talking about? He's not going to be good. And then on Tennessee, you know, he flourishes. 
They hand the ball off to Derrick Henry, start rocking play action off of that. You have some physical tools. You're big. You're strong. You can actually throw some nice balls downfield. Let's put you in a little bit more friendly system, give you a better coach, give you a better defense, give you some playmakers to get the ball to. Who knows what can happen? Well, we now know. Tennessee is a good football team. Ryan Tannehill is acknowledged as a good quarterback. Just a change in situation can be everything for an individual player. Now, that's a lot of football stuff. But with the NBA Finals going on, even in a sport like that where individual players can have much more impact than in football. You know, football, you got offense, defense, special teams, go down the list of all these things. Basketball, you got five people out there. You can play offense, you can play defense, you do both those things. You can pass, you can defend, you can rebound. There's a lot of ways to impact the game from an individual perspective. Um, within the NBA Finals, the, the one player that keeps popping into my mind of just, it's pretty cool to see how drastically perception has changed. And even for me, you know, I, I don't say that I was sitting there championing Andrew Wiggins is going to be an integral piece on this finals team. And now I'm watching it happen. I'm going, this is pretty cool because this is Andrew Wiggins' eighth season in the league. A lot of lean years in Minnesota. And this is the very first season that I personally have viewed him as a legit championship style player. It's not to say that he hasn't flashed physical ability in the past. It's not to say he hasn't put up statistics in the past because he has. But my perception of that was, okay, that's cool. You're doing that in Minnesota. They're atrocious every year. There's nobody on this team. I think there are a lot of players in the NBA who possess enough physical ability that if you put them on an atrocious team and said, we don't have anybody to take shots or run an offense. Can you do that for a while? I think there are an incredible amount of players who could go and score 20 points a game. I really do believe that. All these people are very talented at putting the ball in the basket, at playing basketball. That's why they're in the NBA. Now, if you reverse that and say, okay, how many players are capable of contributing the things that you have to have come playoff time? That's a really different story, and there are significantly less players who can do that and are willing to do that. And those two things don't necessarily always line up. So for a player like Wiggins, I, I usually have a lot of doubts about people who follow his career path. More people than not that follow that progression, if you want to call it that, they don't amount to the highest version of themselves. You know, Andrew Wiggins, he's a number one draft choice. He goes to Minnesota in the Kevin Love trade when LeBron's trying to win a championship right now with Cleveland. He gets stamped with that questionable motor label out of Kansas and throughout the start of his NBA career. Yes, he's getting stats. Yes, he's averaging 20 game, but you watch him and you go, it just kind of seems like he's floating throughout these games. Again, the physical tools and ability will flash here and there. See him dunk on somebody. You see this great defensive play. You go, he could be a great defender. Then you watch the full game and you go, why isn't he playing great defense the whole game? Why isn't he continually attacking the basket the whole game? Why isn't he forcing the issue in the ways that we can see him do on an individual play basis, but not throughout the course of 48 minutes, much less game in, game out, game in, game out. The true separation between stars and everybody else, right? Now, the question always as you're watching this is how much is on this player? How much is on this complete shit situation, Minnesota? And it's, it's really hard. It's always hard to tell. And I'm probably right 50% of the time and I'm wrong 50% of the time. Sometimes I take a stab and say, I think there is stuff within this player that I just wouldn't want on my team. Sometimes I think, eh, get them out and it'll be different. With Wiggins, I just go, ah, I probably wouldn't really want him. And to be fair to me and my perception, most people thought that, including people within the league. That's why the trade that occurred between Golden State and Minnesota occurred in the manner that it did. It was kind of the 
ultimate swap of questionable motor guys. It's D'Angelo Russell from Golden State going out to Minnesota for what now looks like a king's ransom because Wiggins was seen as the inferior player in this swap for reasons unknown. So Minnesota sends back Andrew Wiggins and two extra draft picks, the first and second rounder in the 2021 draft, the first round pick, which becomes Jonathan Kaminga, who now looks like an incredibly intriguing prospect. Just, again, kind of seemed like the old, ah, we're sick of this guy and all his warts, and yeah, he can put up stats, but D'Angelo Russell, do you want him on your team? Andrew Wiggins, do you want him on your team? It's kind of how both of those players were viewed at the time. That's still how one of them is viewed in D'Angelo Russell. But it speaks to how low the value of Wiggins was. Again, it's that empty calorie perception. It was resonating for fans like me. It was resonating throughout the league for people who pay attention to it significantly more than I do. Now, things didn't click immediately when he goes to Golden State. But this season and this playoff run especially, we are seeing what can happen when a player with physical tools is traded to a winning team. That change in situation, you know. Uh, they can blossom as a basketball player in ways that you didn't see before. They can become somebody who's not just a player capable of accumulating numbers. They can be a player who is contributing, yeah, somewhat on the statistical sheet, but also in those little tiny gaps, those margins that you need to succeed in the playoffs. For the playoffs right now, he's 16.7 rebounds, a block, a steal a game. Really good stats. You never say this is star level stuff, but then when you're getting play like that, to supplement what Curry's doing, just this supernova on offense, flame-throwing every single night, you go, all right, I really like this player, this Andrew Wiggins, as an integral piece to a championship unit, a team that can be in the NBA Finals challenging for an NBA championship. And he's got individual moments in, in addition to that, you know, whether it's the his most famous one's probably the dunk that he had on Doncic in Game 3 against Dallas that kind of punctuated that victory just all the physical tools on display that we saw throughout Minnesota, just driving down the lane, nasty tomahawk throwdown. But the game that I would point to, the one that's just most fresh on my mind was game four of the NBA Finals, which his game was overshadowed by Steph's explosion, rightfully so. It's one of the best games that Steph's played in the playoffs, 43 points, just, again, offensive supernova against the best defense in basketball, really high-level stuff from him. So he's going to get all the accolades, great. He, he deserves them. But... What gets lost in the shuffle of that is the second most important player in that game for Golden State, which was Andrew Wiggins, who was not doing the supernova, incredible highlight reel stuff. I'm not dunking on Doncic. I'm not going and cannon 12 threes from center court like Steph does, but he was the championship style player. He's contributing that great defense. He's the number one wing defender on that team right now that they're throwing out there against a team of wings that want to score, whether it's Dylan Brown, whether it's Jason Tatum or a bunch of other people. He makes this uh, renewed effort to attack the glass. They were speaking about it before game four. Kerr said, we got to be better at rebounding period. Boston size is kind of giving us problems. Uh, we have to have kind of this renewed focus and effort. One of the reasons that going to that game, uh, Andrew Wiggins props on rebound was set at five and a half. And I was hammering the over because I was reading that and I go, all right, this is logically going to be one of the people who will be in charge of pounding the glass. It'll be Looney, it'll be Draymond Green, it'll be Andrew Wiggins, it'll be players like that. And indeed, we see Wiggins like attack the glass with a vengeance. It's a career high in rebounds, not just playoffs. Any point throughout his eight seasons, he has 16 rebounds in game four of the finals. Career high. Just giving second chances, uh, boxing people out on defense, all that kind of stuff, getting tough putback points. He has 17 points on the night, which again, right in line with what he's averaged for the playoffs, but it was the style of play, the style of what was happening 
It was this understanding of how to grind out ugly basketball and win. It's something that is paramount within the postseason. It's really cool to watch the situation change for a player. Wiggins going from Minnesota to Golden State. I mean, it's about polar opposites. The NBA dynasty since 2015 versus a team that has been floating in the basketball wilderness until this year. And now we're starting to see, okay, this guy makes sense is more than an empty calorie guy. We've seen a lot of that throughout the course of basketball. You know, you get to the end of every year and team that's winning the championship, there are always players on the roster that I go, that's really cool. I just, I never would have guessed that they would be a championship contributor, you know, throughout the course of LeBron's career, my favorite player, I'd always look at players at the end of the year, whether it was J.R. Smith with that 2016 team or Birdman or Mike Miller back with the Miami stuff. There's a lot of players that I'd watch their whole playoff run. They'd be hoisting the Larry O'Brien trophy. And I'd go, I can't believe that Birdman was actually doing things on the positive side for this Miami team or Mike Miller or J.R. Smith. It's, it's just the story of the playoffs. Who is put in position to succeed? Who has tools? Who has skills? And if the situation aligns nicely, suddenly our perception is drastically altered of that given player. So the other sport that's going on, I mean, I can't, I can't even wait for the Stanley Cup finals, but the NHL is much more akin to football than it is to basketball because there's just so many moving pieces. There's so many more players in a game, playing in your minor league system, getting draft. There's just, there's so many opportunities, much like the question at the top of the show that Austin Eckler, how many are found, how many are lost? What's the comparison? Hockey is that times 9 million because you have leagues throughout the globe. You got Russian leagues, you got European leagues. I mean, who knows who is going to be good, who is not, who was given a true opportunity to succeed and took it or didn't take it. How many people are lost in the cracks? I mean, it's impossible to comprehend within a sport like the NHL, a sport that's all about situation. Uh, I, I point to the Golden Knights expansion draft is just it's an incredible case study about this principle, this, this idea that there's so many gifted hockey players that because there's just a finite amount of opportunity, whether that's a roster spot period, or once you get that roster spot ice time itself, there's such a finite opportunity for that. There's, there's a really, really, really large pool of players you can pull from that might be able to contribute immediately and be really good relative to what we thought about them. That was the Golden Knights expansion draft in 2017 and all the wheeling and dealing they did around the expansion draft itself, getting all of these teams to trade players already on the roster to ensure that they would pick player X instead of player Y in the expansion draft. And they built a team that made the Stanley Cup finals in their first year in existence because their idea, which we couldn't really grasp at the time until we saw it in action was just, it's pretty simple. It's let's give opportunity to people who seem like they have reasonable skill, but just haven't been put in that position or that situation to succeed yet. Whether that's players who've been playing a small amount of ice time and have popped, but are buried on a third line or a fourth line, a player like William Carlson out of Columbus at that time, or players who are showing reasonable stuff, but just maybe on a team that's not as good, you know, like Jonathan Marshall show at the time with Florida. There's a ton of players that they took on and said, you know, what you're going to be our first line center. You know, what you're going to be on our top power play. You know, you know what you're going to be on our top defensive pairing, you know, it's Shea Theodore, it's Nate Schmidt, it's Riley Smith. It's all of these players that suddenly were household names. And even me, a person who follows hockey closely, start of that year, I'm flipping through the Knights roster. I'm going, okay, wait, who's their, 
who's this on their second line? What's going on here? And then I'm watching him go, that guy's damn good. How did I not know about this guy? It's really intriguing stuff. I mean, William Carlson. Okay, here's a good example. I want to go over two, actually. William Carlson plays for the Columbus Blue Jackets in 2017. And he gets 13 minutes of ice time per night over the course of 81 games. You know, he's buried in the bottom of their forward lines. He has has six goals, 19 assists, 25 points in 81 games. Okay, just across the board. That's all bottom third, fourth line. Pick your poison. It's just you are at the bottom of our lineup. You're not really asked to contribute a lot of things. You're getting minimal ice time. That's just kind of what you are. So give props to Vegas because they identify, we think this guy's good. And let's put him in a situation where he's playing with better people and give him more ice time. Let's see what happens. So he goes to Vegas and he's suddenly playing on their first line. And that first year with Vegas in 2018, one year after that, uh, he plays 82 games, one more game than the year prior. But over the course of that, he has 43 goals, 35 assists, 78 points. Think about that relative to the prior season. <laughs> prior season, 6, 19, 25. Next year, 43, 35, 78. He also sees a jump in ice time of over five minutes per night. So now he's playing line one. He's getting lion's share of minutes amongst forwards. He's averaging 1840 per night instead of 1320. Makes a lot of sense how, oh, William Carlson actually has some skill and that dude knows how to put the puck in the net. Now he's playing power play time too, which he was not in Columbus. And now he's playing with talented players on his line like Riley Smith and John Marshall. Holy cow, what is happening here? Just a change in situation suddenly unlocks the player. So William Carlson, we know that that, how many William Carlson's are lost in the course of the NHL. The Austin Eckler question, who the hell knows, but it seems reasonable to assume a ton, you know, Riley Smith, his line mate, his situation changed from a quality perspective, not from a, just a volume, you know, like Carlson did. Carlson got five extra minutes per night. He played on the power play. That's why the skills are popping. Riley Smith, he plays 2017 with the Florida Panthers. He plays 80 games. He's 15 goals, 22 assists, 37 points. He's averaging 18 20 per night. So getting good ice time, not really producing very well in that for that much ice time, you know, less than a half point per game player. Not really ideal. Now he goes to Vegas. He gets bumped to their top line. He's now playing power play time as well, but he's actually playing less ice time per game. He's averaging 1755, just 30 seconds less, but you know, a little bit less than he was the year prior, but the production jumps drastically. He plays 13 less games with Vegas, 67 games compared to 80 the year prior. But his stats, they jump up across the board. Seven more goals. He's got 22 with Vegas, 16 more assists, 38 to 22, and then 23 more points, 60 versus 37. And again, that's in 13 less games because the quality of the situation changes. He's now playing line one. He's now playing with other gifted line mates. He's getting power play time with gifted players like all of his line mates in Shea Theodore. And because situation dictates virtually everything in hockey for almost every player, with very rare exceptions, we suddenly understand Riley Smith is a very good player. Story of the Vegas Golden Knights, right? As we enter into these cup finals, the two people that I think about the most on my team, the two people who have been integral as kind of Swiss Army pieces to unlock Colorado's lineup in a way that needs to be unlocked, rather than being the one-trick pony of just transition, 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 The two players who I've talked about before, who I want to talk about again today, that have really unlocked their ability to be more versatile, to match up 
depending upon who was across from them, are Valeria Chushkin and Arturi Lekkinen, two wingers for Colorado. They would never be pointed at as stars in a lineup filled with stars, but they are integral to Colorado tapping into that identity of versatility that is necessary to win in the playoffs. And both of these have a similar story. They have tools, they have skills, maybe not properly utilized throughout prior stops within their career. And now we're seeing what can happen when they're surrounded with more gifted players on a more gifted team that plays at a pace that both of them prefer, just a little bit more up-tempo. Larry Nachuskin, so he's drafted, he's a top 10 pick by the Dallas Stars back in 2013. And his last season in Dallas was 2019. And in that year, he plays 57 games for the Stars and he has zero goals. 57 games with zero goals. 10 points total. You know, one point every 5.7 games. Just truly atrocious numbers. And everybody thought he was a flame out. I didn't even think about him because why would I? Colorado took a stab on him and I was going, why did we get that that big Russian guy that can't score? What's the story here? Okay, so I'm digging a little bit more. I go, all right, yeah, he's a former top 10 pick. Okay, he's big. He's got some physical tools. Like, they're not paying him anything. Okay, it's I guess it's worth a stab, but I'm probably going to forget about this guy in a month. He's going to be banished to the... AHL or, and we're just not really going to hear about him. And instead he kind of, he makes a name right out of the gate with Colorado. And by the time this year rolls around, he's become one of the key pieces for Colorado, you know, throughout the regular season this year, he plays 62 games. So five more than his last year in Dallas. Again, think about this Dallas, zero goals, 10 points, 57 games, 2022, Colorado, Valeria Nachushkin, 62 games, 25 goals, 27 assists, 52 points. Just, and an incredible transformation. You would see those stat lines together and you go, so this guy found, I mean, he found God or he suddenly learned how to go and weight train or something drastic must have happened within his life. And I guess it did, but it was just Colorado putting him in the best position to succeed. Hey, Natushkin, you know what you're good at? Or checking the hell out of the opponent, getting the puck on your stick and just driving like a freight train to the net and creating chaos and, and digging pucks out of the corner and every once in a while banging home a rebound, and sometimes you got a shot, sometimes you don't, but just we're going to put you in these positions to where you can score 25 goals in 62 games instead of zero in 57 games with Dallas. That's why he's now bouncing around the top of Colorado's lineup. He's getting second-line minutes throughout the year. He's now on Colorado's first line. He's playing with Landis Cog and McKinnon because they understand this guy has ability, and he might have looked like he was on his way out of the league three years ago. And now he's being celebrated and he's going to sign a nice juicy contract at the end of this year because he's put in position to succeed. The situation changed. You know, that's what this sport is about. That's what sports are about in general. The other guy, Arturi Lekkonen, who's, he's my favorite hockey player. I don't know what else to say. I've never loved a hockey player this much that is not a superstar. He's just, what I was talking about with Andrew Wiggins about filling in those gaps that are necessary in the playoffs. Arturi Lekkonen is at times 3 million. I've never seen a player like him. I really have not. I don't say that as hyperbole. A player that is not a star that is so integral to creating opportunities for his line mates and bringing the best out in the people around him. I've never seen anything like it from a person who is not a star. And by all accounts, like, you know, when Lekkonen was with Montreal, they all acknowledge this guy's a badass. This guy, he does... He does the dirty work, you know, he's going to do stuff. I mean, he sent Montreal to the Stanley Cup Finals last year. He scored overtime game winner in game six against Vegas to put them into that series against Tampa Bay. But he's never been a high-level producer just on the stat sheet itself, you know. His best regular season of his career was 
scoring 38 points in 74 games. That's the best. You know, even last year when he was celebrated as kind of this glue guy, you know, he played 17 playoff games. He had four points total. One of them was the biggest one of the year, that overtime game winner in game six. But just from a raw production standpoint, you go, well, it's weird that the Avs are trading their best prospect, Justin Barron, and another draft choice to get this kind of like glue guy. You know, is he like production-wise, you look at it and you say, this guy's a third, he's like a third liner. You know, how, why are you giving up that much for him? Then he comes to Colorado and it's, it's the same Nichushkin thing, but I think it's even more glaring. Just you put this guy with anybody and it enhances what they do. So now instead of being a third liner or a fourth liner, as that production would suggest, you know, 30 points in 74 games, he's getting bounced around the top six. He's playing first line minutes with McKinnon at points throughout this postseason. He's just been a mainstay on their second line when he's not used there with rotating cast of people, whether that's Kadri before the injury or Nico Rantanen or just, you know, pick your poison. But Lekkonen has been a absolutely astoundingly good at hockey. Again, scoring the overtime game winner to send Colorado to the cup final this year. But he's brought the best out in players around him and also produced. He's played 14 playoff games this year. He has 11 points on the stat sheet. It seems like everything he does is just right at the forefront of Colorado scoring a goal, even if he is not statistically on the sheet. He's just doing all of the little things over and over and over. You know, think Andrew Wiggins. Think all of these players throughout the course of time that have shown things in the past and then situation changes and Lekkonen going from this year's Montreal team to this year's Colorado team. You could not get more polar opposites. Just a complete shit show of an organization to right now one of, if not the best run organizations in hockey. Surrounded by talent. Do you know what is getting applauded? Arturi Lekkonen and his hockey ability. It's not to say that Lekkonen or any of these people that I've talked about in the show, it's not to say that all of these players aren't constantly working to improve their craft. They are. They are always doing that. I firmly believe that. It's their job. I'm assuming all of these people are motivated to try and get better, so they're doing that. But when you see a jump this steep in statistics or in effectiveness or in both, as is the case with almost all of these people that I've talked about throughout the course of the show, all signs point towards the one thing. A change in situation is the ultimate thing that matters. Thank you for listening to The Chris Rawl Show. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. Don't forget to sign up for my newsletter. It's easy. You go to chrisrawl.com. You hit the subscribe button in the top right corner. You put your email address in. And on Wednesday, you will get in your inbox the freshest, happiest, most profound piece of content you will feel and receive all year. So go enjoy your week. By the time the next podcast is out, game one of the Stanley Cup finals will have happened. I'm sure I'll have things to say. US Open will be in full effect. NBA Finals, who knows where we'll be. So there'll be a lot to discuss. Until then, peace.